Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Outside of 2018, Trevor Bauer has had a 4.19 ERA or higher in every season. Last year, he was SP33 in Roto and SP38 in fantasy points per game. Despite all of this, he's still SP22 in ADP. What are we doing? Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today, Thursday, July 9th. Frank Stamfel, Scott White, and Chris Towers here for our Starting Pitcher Preview 2.0 Part 2. Chris, yesterday... You said that we should actually be calling this starting pitcher preview 2.2. That might make a little bit more sense. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, you, you figure, you know, look, there's no right way to name this. We're all flying by the seat of our pants. We don't know what the future holds. But, yeah, you know, 2.1 makes more sense, I think, as a naming convention. Because, you know, 2.0 part two. First of all, it's a lot of P sounds, and that's always risky when you're doing audio <laughs> recording. You never want to pop your peas. Uh, but second, it's just, it's a real mouthful. It's hard to keep track of. Version 2.1 uh, is the way I would have gone with. But look, nobody asked me. Uh, and I don't want to overstep my bounds, Frank. This is your ship to steer. I'm just a stowaway. Hey, man, look, if you have suggestions, I'm here for it. I trust you. You guys have been doing this a lot longer than I have. Uh, so version 2.2. Look, it took about, what is this, our 10th position preview to figure that out, but we we finally figured it out. Scott is here as well. He's wearing a Texas Rangers hat. We're going to talk about quite a few Rangers today, Scott. That was intentional by design. Three three Rangers we're going to talk about today, and uh, all of them... All of them curious cases, curious cases, those Rangers, not not helped by our curiosity is only, uh, uh, you know, propped up by the new stadium there in Texas and wondering how it's going to play. The curious case of the Texas Rangers. We're going to start off with sleepers, breakouts and busts. But first, I want to ask you guys if strength of schedule matters at all to you guys in this shortened season. I would argue that matchups matter more this year than ever before. I mean, a lot of those weird ERA seasons that we're about to see, it's going to be because uh, the pitchers are going to have randomly really good matchups, and it's just really hard to uh, predict those things. Ultimately, the five easiest schedules, according to last year's winning percentage, the Twins, the Indians, the Cardinals, the White Sox, the Dodgers. Does this matter, Scott? I mean, would you be targeting those pitchers more because they have easier strength of schedules? Can you list the teams again? Twins, Indians, Cardinals, White Sox, Dodgers. Mind you, there are three AL Central teams in there yeah. and four Central teams overall with the Cardinals. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I'm a little surprised about the uh, 
the Dodgers being in there, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. I, I would agree with you that it'll matter more than ever this year because normally the schedule uh, is pretty balanced. It's never completely balanced, of course, because, you know, teams play their own division more often and interleague play kind of changes things too. But uh, between it being balanced and it being so long, uh, you know, you can't really fixate on any one matchup too much. But obviously it's less balanced and it's much shorter this year. So I do think it matters more than ever. I do also think there's a risk in kind of overstating the importance of it because it, baseball is is not so much a matchups game. You know, it's it's not football. And uh, you know, this is something. This is the form a form of analysis that is often visited in football, and it's it just doesn't work that way in baseball. Um, yeah. So. You know, it's it's something to keep in mind. Maybe slightly upgrade Twins pitchers, uh, slightly downgrade someone else. But like, you're not you're not totally overhauling your rankings rankings for it. So here's here's the tough thing about that. It's like yes, in theory, push Twins pitchers up your ranks. Uh, but if Jose Brios, who will be the open day starter for the Twins, pitches every fifth day, it lines up with the White Sox in Chicago, which. I don't think we think that's a great matchup for this year. No, it's not. Uh, home versus St. Louis. Again, not a great matchup. Uh, then he would get the Pirates at home. So that's another one. That's a good one. And then the, the Royals. But then he would get the Brewers. And so it would be, you know, three. And it would be at Miller Park. So it would be three, I think, Actually, out of his first five, it would only be two good matchups, right? It would be the Pirates and the and the Royals. And so, you know, that's one where, yes, this is going to matter. Matchups are absolutely going to matter more in a shortened season because if you get a good matchup in a 12-game season, that simply matters more than it does in a 33-game season. Individual matchups don't really matter in a 33-game season because it it's all going to come out in the wash overall for the most part. Um but the way the schedule might actually work out, the Twins actually go face the Brewers six times in 10 days in uh, a stretch from August 10th to August 20th, 11 days, six times in 11 days. It's possible that it lines up that Jose Brios has to face them twice. That would not be a good thing. So it just, the, given how much rotations flip-flop, you know, maybe he actually just pitches every fifth day inst- or f- every fifth game instead of every fifth game. You know, like there's a lot of different ways that it could work out. But, you know, I think the point is that it's there are too many variables for me to really count that. Um, and certainly it wouldn't be it would never be enough to move a player significantly. Yeah, and I think that's well said. And I started looking at schedules yesterday, and I realized that I was excited about Twins pitchers, but they don't face the Tigers until late August. And then I think most of their games against the Tigers actually come in September. So, yeah, they might be able to help you in a playoff push or in your fantasy playoffs or down the stretch in a Roto League, but you have to get that far first. So just keep these things in mind. Uh, Something that I tweeted out earlier, if you're looking for starting pitchers with strong matchups early on, um... These are teams that will face the Tigers in the first month. Multiple series against the Tigers. The Reds, the White Sox, the Indians. uh, Teams who face the Giants multiple times in the first month. The Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. And then teams that face the Marlins multiple series in the first month. That would be the Phillies, the Mets, 
and the Washington Nationals. You know where I think it's going to come in play more is when you're looking for like two start sleepers to pick up off the waiver wire. Like you mentioned the white Sox in there. Um, you know, maybe like Reynaldo Lopez will be high on the two start sleeper list yeah. as opposed to when you're, you're drafting your team and your focus is mainly on how good the player you're actually drafting is. It's funny you bring that up. I remember starting Ronaldo Lopez for a two-star week I mean, last year. And starting it was, Ronaldo Lopez rarely works out well. No, the thing was, I think he put up like 60 fantasy points in a two-star oh, wow. week last, last year. You, you and got was, a good one. I just picked him up for that. I dropped him right after. I was like, <laughs> wash my hands of the Ronaldo Lopez. I don't want to mess with this experiment anymore. I, I got exactly, well, not exactly what I wanted, way more than what I wanted. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I agree with you there, Scott. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts at starting pitcher. Let's get it started here before we jump into ADP review once again. Scott, your sleeper at starting pitcher. My sleeper at starting pitcher. Uh, I didn't have him queued up yet, but I am going to go with... I'm, I'm going to go with Alex Wood, and I kind of have a renewed enthusiasm for Alex Wood after it waned there briefly, uh, not really confident in the way the Dodgers were going to handle their pitching staff in a shortened season. But of course, back in March, they declared him uh, one of their five starters. They had a lot of choices. They chose Alex Wood, a guy with a 580 ERA last year. But of course, that was in an injury shortened season with the Reds. The Dodgers have a lot of familiarity with Alex Wood. And uh, they really like the work he did with driveline baseball. Uh, the pitching development program this offseason. It has a history of improving pitchers' velocity, and it appears to have done that for Wood. Uh, back in spring training, he was sitting at 92-93, which was about as hard as he's ever thrown. And in fact, the last time he threw that hard for an extended stretch was the first half of 2017. I think it was the only time he's thrown that hard for an extended stretch. And... He was unbelievably good for that stretch. He went 10 and 0 with a 167 ERA, 0.89 whip, 10.8 10 10.8 K per 9. Woods always been a curious sort of pitcher who has put together amazing stretches. You know, obviously that was the best and one of the longest, but he's uh generally been good for a low whip and uh sometimes decent strikeout totals. But there's been a lot of inconsistency. If he can sustain that velocity over a 60-game season, I think I think he could be a must-start player for you. I mean, I'm not obviously expecting numbers quite that good, but he could be very good. And the reason I'm kind of emboldened now again is because of the way the Dodgers have talked about him just since players started reporting to camp. Dave Roberts mentioned three pitchers who he thought would be ready to go seven innings the first time out. One was Clayton Kershaw. One was actually Ross Stripling, which is interesting in its own right. And one was Alex Wood. He didn't mention Walker Bueller, curiously. How he dare mentioned you? Alex Wood. <laughs> so I think they plan on treating him like a full-fledged starter and not just part of like a, a, a piggybacking situation. Scott, you know, more th the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I the past couple of days have listened to your uh, starting pitcher previews that you guys did with Adam back in February and your phone was going off in both of the previews that I listened well, yeah, to then. It had been a while. <laughs> uh, there was a point, you know, really before Frank got here where it was like a daily occurrence. Yeah. And I feel like it had been like three or four weeks since I'd heard it. I, I got days in a row. We're back. We're, we're starting the, the Scott White cell phone drinking game again. Got to retrain my peeps. <laughs> 
They got to know when I'm podcasting over here. Oh, Mr. Popular, Scott White. Chris, <laughs> when it comes to sleepers, that starting pitcher, who's your favorite? Oh, there's a lot of options. Uh, are you going with Mitch Keller? Oh, no, no, no. I'm going with okay. another Pittsburgh Pirate. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I also really like Joe Musgrove. I really like Mitch Keller. Uh, they are two of my favorite sleepers at the position. Uh, and a big part of that, you know, I think a lot of the arguments that Frank is probably going to make in uh, Joe Musgrove's favor will also apply to Mitch Keller, new pitching coach, uh, more analytically minded approach. So I will put that one there, put a pin in it and actually go with Matthew Boyd, who is uh, starting pitcher number 45 off the board, 157th overall uh, in ADP right now. And I mean, look, you can't get 240 strikeouts over course of a full season that is upside this late in a draft there's just can anyone else provide that i i don't really think so lance mccullers doesn't have the innings potential for it uh and uh, you know that kind of skill just isn't out there matthew boyd pretty much did that last season what he had like 230 well he might have had over 245 actually he was a, an elite strikeout pitcher last season who gave up like 39 home runs that's way too many home runs guys uh, you should not give up that many home runs if you can avoid it. But he probably won't do that again. That's too many home runs to hit. That should probably regress. Uh, and he added both a – I don't know if you can necessarily say he added a changeup. I think that's always been there, but he worked on it this offseason. And more specifically in spring training, he shut off a, a reworked version of the curveball that he kind of ditched last season and – you know, my hope is that that curveball can serve a similar purpose to what Patrick Corbin's did when he introduced it in 2018, which was he used it more like you would typically use a changeup. It was almost exclusively against right-handed pit batters, uh, and it was just to give them another look to avoid that platoon split. And it really, you know, it was pretty effective for him. Matthew Boyd's got great stuff, tons of strikeouts. If he can keep the, the home run rate to, like, the 10th worst in baseball, you're probably looking at a must-start fantasy pitcher. Yeah, big fan of Matthew Boyd as well. He had 238 strikeouts last year. Um, I have a stat regarding Matthew Boyd as well, which lumps him in with some great company. Uh, qualified starting pitchers who had a chase rate of over 34%, a first pitch strike percentage of 64%, and a swinging strike rate of over 12%. Um, Matthew Boyd, Clayton Kershaw, Shane Bieber, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, Joe Musgrove, Justin Verlander, and Jacob deGrom. It's pretty good company to be part of. So the skills are there for Matthew Boyd. He just has to cut down on those strikeouts. I mentioned the name, Joe Musgrove. I'm a big fan of Mitch Keller as well. Chris, you hit on some of the points there. Ray Searidge, no longer the pitching coach for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Oscar Marin is the new pitching coach there. He's more uh, analytically sound. And Ray Searidge really preached a fastball-heavy approach, a sinker-heavy approach. And frankly, uh, Joe Musgrove's secondary pitches, his breaking pitches are much better than his fastball. Speaking of the fastball, his velocity was up in September last year. It was only four starts, but during that span, he had a 2.25 ERA and 11.8 Ks per nine, the velocity during spring. I was watching a few Pirates games. They were talking about it sitting 93-94 again. So I think lots of reasons to be excited for both Keller and Joe Musgrove. I have him as my SP44. He's SP61 in ADP. I don't know that there is another pitcher that I am that high on compared to ADP than Joe Musgrove. So big fan of the Pirates starting pitchers there. Breakout. Scott, who's your favorite breakout at starting pitcher? I think 
in 1.0, I focused on Max Freed here. And of course, I still like Max Freed, but yeah. I find I'm not actually drafting him that often. So I'm going to focus on somebody I've come around to more recently in my Breakouts 2.0 column, and that's Kinta Maeda, uh, who I am drafting a fair amount of. And the story for Kinta Maeda goes that he was his talents were suppressed with the Dodgers in a number of ways. Uh, the biggest being that he had terms in his contract that they could keep the cost down by limiting his innings, basically. And I think his number of starts too. And they would transition him to the bullpen. Sometimes they'd move him in and out of the bullpen. They never let him pitch that deep into games, even though he's a very efficient pitcher. And even though the numbers show he's actually much better than the average pitcher the third time through the lineup. So they just didn't handle him the way his numbers and his performance suggested he, he deserved to be handled. And going to the Twins, uh, you know, they don't, they're not the pitching rich organization that the Dodgers is, that the Dodgers are. They could, um, they really need Maeda to be a top of the rotation guy for him, which I think he has the upside to be. Uh, last year, Maeda did have a 404 ERA, but with a 107 whip and well more than a strikeout per inning. His, his expected ERA, according to StatCast, was actually 326. And that, while the actual ERA has fluctuated throughout his career, the expected ERA has always been very low like that. So if you get the best case of Kenta Maeda performance-wise and you add in the likelihood of him going six to seven innings consistently now than the way the Dodgers never allowed him to, I, I, I think I think maybe you're looking at a top 20 pitcher here and uh, you can draft him outside the top 40, right? He's the 48th yeah. starting pitcher off the board, which is just crazy. I love it. I love it. I'll take it. I'm, I'm, I've been tempted to include Kenta Maeda in my large sum of pitchers with uh, frontline potential in, in that group of 35 or whatever the number's at now. I've been tempted to include Kenta Maeda with that group. So that's how confident I am in him. Frankly, I'm more confident in him than Dan Max Fried now. Honestly, if he just hits his career marks, 3.87 ERA, 1.15 whip, 9.7 Ks per nine, he's going to be better than the 48th starting pitcher yeah. off the board. And I think you have reason to believe he'll be even better than that based on the expected ERA. Does a really good job of limiting hard contact. Gets a ton of swinging strikes. 14.6% swinging strike rate last year was seventh best among pitchers with at least 150 innings pitched. So big fan of Maeda as well. Chris, among the many breakout potential here potential starting pitchers who is your favorite yeah you know i'm looking back at the starting preview pitcher preview that i wrote uh it hasn't been updated since like mid-june so right before things came back so i'll probably need to update it i'm looking at it i have frankie montas as a breakout and that feels a little bit cheap because the breakout already happened last season and so i just think it's a matter of him just one staying healthy which has been a problem in his career but also you know, pitching the full season. And if he does that, I'm pretty, co very confident that he's going to be a very good pitcher. Um, and so that's one that I'm just going to leave. I think I'm going to update the, the rest of them, but you know, he had a 318 or sorry, a 263 ERA, 376 uh, Sierra last season uh, in 96 innings. The addition of the splitter 
last season was, I think, the key to unlocking everything because he's always had a hard fastball. Uh, and he's, he has a pretty good slider. It's just he didn't have that third pitch. And so it made him predictable, and it made both of those pitches easier to hit. The addition of that splitter you know, changed his whole outlook. It was an immediate swing and miss weapon. It was a very good pitch. Uh, and it made the other two pitches play up. And so that combination, it, you know, it might have been a fluke. It's only 90 innings. But given that there was a legitimate change there, I think I'm more than willing to buy into it. Chris, what if I told you that Frankie Montas is the 28th starting pitcher off the board and he averaged the 10th most fantasy points per game last year just ahead of Shane Bieber? I mean, he was pitching consistently deep into games last season. Uh, yep. The one concern I do have, like I mentioned, there there is a history of, of injuries there. Uh, he is not someone who has thrown a lot of innings, you know, consistently throughout his career. But, I mean, you look at the results for all three of his pitches and – you know, they were pretty freaking good last year. So I think he's an obvious value and a guy who uh, is going to show that he's one of the better pitchers in the American League just by being on the mound this year. Scott, you mentioned Max Freed as your breakout back when you did the first starting pitcher preview uh, back in February. And that's who I'm actually going to go with here. Montas is someone who I love targeting. Zach Gallen, we talk a lot about as well, and we will talk about him today. Uh, but those guys are, I would say, a little bit more obvious. Max Freed, someone I also like. 4.02 ERA last year, a 3.32 XFIP. So could see some positive regression over a strikeout per inning. The command was the best of his career uh, last year. Better than anything we've ever seen in the minors. 54% ground ball rate. So he gets over a strikeout per inning, under three walks per nine, over 50% ground ball rate. He got better in the second half. The the K per nine went up over 10 in the second half last year. He had a 3.63 ERA in that second half. Uh, And I was telling you guys about this before we started, but I was reading an article on The Athletic last night where Freed was talking about how he is developing a changeup, and he's been working on this. If that can help him neutralize right-handed batters, last year they hit 281 against him. That could be the key for him. If if this changeup can help him get right-handed batters out, then I think you could see him take that next step. It wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about him as, you know, a third or a fourth round starting pitcher next year, taking that, you know, Luis Castillo type leap. And to me, that yeah. would constitute a breakout for Max Freed. Uh, yeah, the, I agree. The changeup would be a game changer. Uh, just to put that XFIP that you mentioned in perspective, it was better than Walker Bueller than Jack Flaherty. So I, I have a suspicion that those struggles against opposite-handed hitters are contributed to him underperforming his peripherals. Guys, I gave my bus at the top of the show. It's Trevor Bauer. I I, I wrote about it. I've talked about it. Um, I'm not sure what else there needs to be. Uh, what else needs to be said regarding Trevor Bauer, uh, Scott? Quickly, who's your bust at starting pitcher? Madison Bumgarner is my bust. He's probably my number one bust, regardless of position this year. And it's pretty easy to explain why. His numbers the last two years, basically ever since his dirt bike accident where he messed up his shoulder and his stuff hasn't been quite the same since. His numbers the last two years. At at home, last year, it was 293 ERA versus 529 on the road. Two years ago, 163 at home versus 497 on the road. Obviously, his home was in San Francisco, the most favorable of pitchers' parks. He's not in San Francisco anymore. He's in Arizona, which is not 
such a favorable place for hit for pitchers. It's it's you know kind of neutral, I guess, but definitely not San Francisco. And uh, doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be his road self at home now, but he doesn't get that big advantage of pitching in San Francisco anymore. And I think that's helped sustain him uh, ever since he lost a little bit of his stuff. So, you know, it's hard to bet against Madison Bumgarner given, uh, given that he's a, he's the sort of pitcher who tends to do to rise above what you think he's going to do. Obviously has a history of doing that, but I'm betting against him this year. He's my, he's my bust at starting pitcher. Chris, who are you betting against at starting pitcher of the season? Oh, this is a really hard question to answer, and this is one of the ones that I think I'm going to change from the starting pitcher preview I wrote earlier this year on CBSSports.com because there I do have Mike Clevenger, and look, there's no way I'm going to draft Mike Clevenger his spot, but I do think given his, his ability to limit hard contact and limit damage on contact, even if he's not the guy he was last season, I think he has a pretty high floor, his injury is History is not being factored into his price the way it is with some other pitchers. So, no, but I, I just I don't feel super strongly about that as a bust. Uh, the other one that comes to mind is Mike. Like, this is one thing that's hard. Like, Mike Soroka is not going to be as good as he was last season, and I'm doubtful he's going to be the number twenty four starter, which is where he's being drafted. But it's really hard to actually call many pitchers this season a bust just because. I don't see that many bad values. Mike Soroka is probably the closest. Like I would not feel confident in him as my number two starting pitcher. I prefer someone with more upside there. Uh, so he, he's the guy I guess I'm going with, but it just, it, I think this just highlights how much harder it is these days to actually identify a bust at starting pitcher for me, at least. Mike Soroka, SP24 off the board, and was a top 20 starting pitcher in both formats last year. SP17 and fantasy points per game. SP20 in Roto. Let's get into our ADP review, and we'll start right there. Mike Soroka is one of the pitchers we were about to talk about. Round 7, Jose Barrios. He's going on that 6-7 turn. Uh, Trevor Bauer. Talked about him a little bit. Round 7. Round 8, Brandon Woodruff, 85.6. Mike Soroka. We actually got an email yesterday from Ryan Hart. He said, you guys like to sing Luke Weaver. That's more Adam's thing. Uh, so I kind of stole it. I did pretty well with that. <laughs> but he said, why don't you guys ever go, Mike Soroka? It's a fair question. Do, 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 do. Mike Soroka's ADP, 88. Corey Kluber, 93.8. Sonny Gray, 95.6. And I'm just going to throw James Paxton in this mix based on his NFBC ADP in the month of July is 95. So right around Sonny Gray, and he's being drafted in this round seven, round eight range again. Scott, does that make sense? James Paxton, the last name that I mentioned there, should he, obviously he had the surgery on his back. It was back in February. He was expected to miss the first maybe month of the season, maybe even more than that. But now he's healthy. He's ready to go. Should he be drafted in this round seven, eight range among the names that I mentioned? Uh, I think I have him. I have him right around here, I guess. I don't. I, I might quibble with the exact spot for James Paxton. You have Paxton SP28. So just behind yeah. this group. Right. And, and just... He, you know, he, he did some he did some things per, performance wise last year. He didn't live up to 
expectations in his first year with the Yankees, especially the increase in walks was curious. And, you know, he missed some time with injury. You wonder how much that contributed to it. Uh, but, you know, going back to his last couple of years with the Mariners, he was a player who we thought we were, had the potential to contend for a Cy Young. I mean, the strikeout to walk ratio was uh, among the best in baseball. And he still certainly showed that strikeout potential last year. So if, if we're confident he's healthy now and we're not as concerned about him missing time in a shortened season because he's, he's a pitcher who has yet to deliver 180 innings in a season, uh, you know, but you, you, that kind of normalizes in a 60-game season. So I can definitely understand the enthusiasm for Paxton this year, and I might even share in it if he totally performed up to expectations last year. I'm, I'm playing it a little cautiously there um, because I'm not as confident in the performance for Paxton as I once was. The one thing you can depend on him for is strikeouts. As you mentioned, Scott, over the past two seasons, an 11.4K per nine for Paxton was fifth best among qualified starting pitchers. Maybe not qualified, actually. I don't know if he would have qualified because he's dealt with so many injuries. But 14.2% swinging strike rate was eighth best among that time. Uh, but the ERA, a little bit higher, and the whip, a little bit higher. Uh, again, pitching in Yankee Stadium. Chris, this group, Barrios, Bauer, Woodruff, Soroka, Kluber, Gray, Paxton. Fill in the blank. I would feel comfortable with one of these starting pitchers as my SP blank. Uh, um, I would be comfortable with Sonny Gray as my SP2. And I have drafted Corey Kluber as my SP2. The word comfortable obviously does not factor into the conversation with that one, however. So... Uh, the rest of them, I, it would be more like three, probably. I think it's probably three for me for all of them. I mean, if you get one of these guys as your SP4, that would be fantastic. But then that means you're probably spending four of your first seven or eight picks on starting pitchers, which might be overdoing it a little bit. Uh, Scott, who is the pitcher you find yourself drafting most from this group? It's gray. It's gray. Uh, there's been a lot of focus on how how dominant Jack Flaherty and you Darvish were in the second half last year, but Sonny Gray was right there with them. Sonny Gray um, to close out the season had the same kind of amazing numbers. Uh, I'm trying to pull them up quickly here. 194 ERA, 0.95 whip, 11 K per nine over his final 15 starts. And yeah, he talked about it in the off season, how, like there, he really feels like the Reds unlocked his potential, specifically with the slider and how he used it. it. It's a great swing and miss pitch. Of course, he's always been a fantastic ground ball pitcher. If you can be an elite strikeout pitcher and an elite ground ball pitcher in an environment where most offense is generated by home runs, I mean, you have the potential to dominate. And I think, I think Sonny Gray's there. Granted, he's faked us out a couple times in the past. He's uh, been the most annoying player to own probably in <laughs> Dynasty Leagues. But I, I think... This time it's for real with Sonny Gray. <laughs> and I tend to agree with you. He was SP17 in Roto. He was SP23 in fantasy points per game. Scott, is it fair to say that he's better in Roto because he doesn't go as deep into games? He was just 50th in innings pitched per game started last season. 
I haven't been thinking of him that way. I, I think the Reds are a very good team, have a great offense, and uh, are certainly going to provide him run support. Uh, I'm curious if that changed, if he started pitching deeper when he started pitching well. And it looks like he did. Those final 15 starts, let's see. Uh, only one, two, three of those final 15 starts were less than six innings. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really think workload's an issue for Sonny Gray. Yeah, one of the, I think, underrated aspects of last season's kind of breakout for Sonny Gray was the fact that he was reunited with pitching coach Derek Johnson, who came over from the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, and Derek Johnson was actually Sonny Gray's pitching coach back in college at Vanderbilt. So I thought that they were, it was really interesting that they got to work together and Sonny Gray um, broke out the way that he did last year. The curveball and the slider were the best that we've ever seen out of Sonny Gray. Chris, who is the pitcher that you avoid most from this group? It's probably Mike Soroka, although Brandon Woodruff's not far. I just – I don't trust the the stuff for Brandon Woodruff. He throws incredibly hard, and that is one of the ways that we typically define stuff. But, you know, he really – when you look at the, you know, the whiff rates and the success rates and, and all that, he kind of is just a two-pitch pitcher. And really, it's two different versions of the same pitch. It's the fastball. He's got – really good fastballs. His whiff rates on his four-seamer and his sinker are elite for those pitches. The problem is, uh, one, he throws those pitches 63% of the time, 64% of the time, which is quite a lot. Um, and he just doesn't get as many whiffs on the slider and changeup as you typically see. And so it leaves him incredibly reliable on that fastball for strikeouts. And that's just typically not a, a profile that we see. I think he's a relatively high floor pitcher because he does do a really, really good job of avoiding hard contact. Um, I just, I don't buy the strikeout rate jump last season. I think there's regression coming there. Brandon Woodruff, a 3.62 ERA, a 1.14 whip last season. He was SP 20 in fantasy points per game. Scott, I have a bunch of meters that I'm going to break out today. And okay. the first one is the legit O meter. Where would you rank Brandon Woodruff on the legit O meter, one to ten? Okay, it's always difficult when you haven't calibrated these meters yet. <laughs> uh, you're afraid of going too high or too low, and with future picks, um, I'm gonna say Woodruff is a seven on the legit O meter. I share some of Chris's concerns for him, though more from like a dynasty perspective than a 2020 He's perspective. Like. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure his profile is going to age well because he's so fastball-reliant. It reminds me a little of, of Matt Harvey, frankly. Um, in 30 seconds or less, well, first of all, does anyone have a retort against me basically hating Trevor Bauer for fantasy baseball? I, On the one hand, you, you could make a, a pretty reasonable argument that you could just stream a starting pitcher spot and get somewhat close to... Uh, him at least in, in run prevention, but you know the, the stability of a guy who's going to go deep into games, and they actually, interestingly enough, have talked about him pitching every fourth game. Yep, he may lap uh, everybody in terms of innings this. Which, year. if that's actually something they do at least a few times, and he gets to fifteen starts instead of twelve, mm -hmm. that actually, you know, uh, presuming the ERA is not horrible, and for as upsetting as his 2019 season was. ZRA wasn't like team destroying. Uh, and if he gets it into like more like the high threes rate, uh, 
you know, that kind of inning surplus with his strikeout rate and, you know, the fact that he's usually decent at whip could, uh, could be very, very valuable, but he's, he's definitely someone I settle for, not someone I reach for. Yeah. I think that's a fair way of putting it, but it, it is important to remember, like, there's the most likely scenario, and then there's the upside. And the upside, I mean, he was the best pitcher in the AL in 2018, yeah. I think. Probably would have won the Cy Young if he hadn't gotten hurt there at the end. Just ask he, him. And even last year, before he got traded to Cincinnati, he had a 379 ERA, one one whip, 10.6K per nine. Uh, the long ball killed him last year, and it killed a lot of pitchers. Obviously, record-setting year. But he changed his pitch selection in a way that invited more long balls uh, didn't throw his curveball as much. And the curveball was really the key to his whole breakout. So that was, that was curious. Chris has referred to Bauer before as a tinkerer and actually talked heading into last year that he worried he might tinker his way out of uh, success. And it kind of happened, kind of played yeah. out exactly that way. Hopefully he I, tinkers his way back into it. Good thing. I listened to myself and didn't have him <laughs> as the number four starting pitcher in fantasy baseball. This yeah, time last or you know last spring. I'm right there with you, Chris. Maybe it's because I got burned by him, and that's not how you're supposed to play fantasy. But I think I spent thirty five dollars on him in a fifteen team auction last year. Just completely sunk me. Um, yeah, I mean a four four eight ERA over two hundred and thirteen innings last year. That's it's pretty bad, Chris. So I I can't do it. Look, <sighs> other people want to chase the upside of twenty eighteen. It's not. You could good. try it, but I'm not. I'm but, not doing it with Trevor Bauer. But again, I, I wonder what happened with his move from Cleveland to Cincinnati. Uh, if it was just a matter of going to a small park, and, and again, his profile was not set up last year, at least, to prevent home runs, and maybe that was entirely it. But for his 24 starts with with Cleveland, like he was he was a must-start pitcher. He wasn't, he wasn't contending for a Cy Young award or anything, but he was... It was appropriate to the range he's being drafted, the way he performed in those 24 starts with Cleveland. Round 10, Zach Wheeler, 109.2 is the ADP. Frankie Montas, 110.6. Jesus Lazardo, 116.6. Lance Lynn, 117. And Zach Gallen at 120. Guys, how are we handling Zach Wheeler? Because his wife is due in July, and apparently he's considering opting out of the season. So you shouldn't be drafting right now. And hopefully, you know, a couple of weeks from now, we, we will know what, what Zach Wheeler is doing. But... How are you guys just handling Zach Wheeler right now? This is probably too high for him, given that, you know, even if he doesn't opt out of the season, he's, he's, you know, I think he's talked about he'll likely miss two starts. Mm-hmm. And given that that's 17% of the season, roughly, uh, that you, you got to downgrade him, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. And this might be too high for him anyway. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's sort of, I think people view him as like a, sort of high upside uh, starting pitcher. Like he throws really hard and there's this idea that he might be like this really good strikeout pitcher, but he actually really isn't. He doesn't get a lot of swings and misses. Uh, he's actually a lot like Jose Barrios. Um, and early on in the spring, I was actually making the why draft Jose Barrios when you can get Zach Wheeler argument. Uh, I think that the case for Zach Wheeler at this point has been, he's been really consistent the last couple of years, at least in terms of his overall numbers, the highs and lows in season have been a little frustrating, but you know, he seemed like someone you could probably rely on for a decent number of strikeouts, decent number of innings, decent category uh, rate stats. Yeah. Now, you know, that kind of goes out the window when 
he's going to have less volume than everyone else. Probably. I, I think since you brought it up, Frank, it's, I don't, it's worth, it's worth addressing that. I don't think he's going to sit out the season. Uh, obviously he's been asked about it. He's talked about it. He's, he's he, the way he put it was he, he wondered if he would at one point, but he feels pretty safe right now. Um, and I think, I think that's probably most every player sentiment. So I, I don't really, I'm not really singling Zach Wheeler out for that. I mean, obviously anybody could choose to sit out at any point, but I am singling him out for the likelihood he misses his first couple turns through the rotation because that's what his wife's do. Lance Lynn was a top 20 starting pitcher in both formats last season. He is currently SP30 off the board. His first five starts last year, he had a 6.51 ERA, 7.8K per nine. His last 28 starts, a large majority of the season, 3.24 ERA, 11Ks per nine for Lance Lynn. Scott, you are wearing the Texas Rangers hat. You are the representative of Lance Lynn himself. The trustometer. We're going to trust. What is the trustometer? For Lance Lynn, let's say as your SP four. Oh, so you're putting separate terms on it. As my SP four, it's like a nine. But probably, I feel like because I don't, I don't feel like you can consistently get him as your SP four, right, Scott? I I often get him as my SP four. Yep. Yeah, and sometimes I've gotten him as my SP five, and that's like a ten at that point because <laughs> you know yeah, there's obviously less. You're not at, you're not factory. You're not as concerned about the downside when you're getting that deep into building your pitching staff. So that's why I put it that way. On a general level, I would put my trust at a seven about where I put Woodruff. I mean, obviously, just look at Lance Lynn's track record. There's a chance what he did last year was a a total fluke. But he's not getting drafted anywhere close to uh, to the presumption that it's legit. You know, he was. Uh, Cy Young caliber pitcher last year, especially from May 1st on. May 1st on, he had like a uh, a 3.12 ERA, I think. 3.32 ERA. Um, yeah. He, he was really good. He was really good. He, he was seventh in innings, seventh in strikeouts. Just pitched like a frontline pitcher um, in a way that's not really supported by his ADP. And if you know, he changed his pitch selection a little, I think, maybe to to uh, maximize the swing and miss potential of his fastball. And it, if he's able to sustain that, then it's he's a great value here. If he's not, if he regresses back to prior Lance Lynn, then he's probably waiver fodder. But I don't think the risk... I, I don't think... Like, I, I think the reward here is greater than the risk at this point. We spoke about Montas as a breakout candidate. I think across the board, we all like Montas, right, Scott? You, you could agree with mm-hmm. that? Okay. Yeah, I do. I think I actually might like Lance Lynn more because the strikeout upside uh, is especially high for Lance Lynn for this range of where we're drafting. But yeah, I like Montas. I, I'm, I'm mostly buying into that with the introduction of the splitter. We addressed the Lazardo situation at the top of yesterday's show. If you want to go back and listen to that, uh, Zach Gallen, Chris, I know that you're a big fan as well. In 30 seconds or less, tell me why he is a breakout candidate this season. He is a guy who, um, for one thing, unlike a lot of young pitchers, he's ready for a full workload. He can go deep into games. He's got four pitches that he can throw in any count uh, to any batter. Uh, and all four of them rated out pretty well last season. He's got the fastball curve cutter and change up. Um, 
And I think he's just better than what he showed in the majors last season. I think some people will look at the ERA being a lot lower than the, than the peripherals, you know, the FIP, the Sierra XFIP, et cetera, and say that there's regression coming. However, I would counter that, you know, he had uncharacteristic control problems in the majors last season. And really it was just two starts. I think it was consecutive starts where he walked five and one and six in the other. Other than that, he had the same very good control he's had his entire professional career. So I really don't think there's that much risk there. And I think the upside is he can be a top 12 pitcher. Mercy! That was a minute. You had 30 seconds, Chris. How dare you? I mean, honestly, that's on you. You're the guy with the button. <laughs> I know. I just, I always feel bad cutting you guys off because you're making Never, good points. Don't ever feel bad about cutting me off. <laughs> All right, I'm going to promote a few things real quick. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can see Scott in his fantastic Texas Rangers hat. I am wearing a Pittsburgh Pirates baseball shirt, and uh, Chris has a beautiful yellow mustard shirt on today that you can see only on our YouTube channel, Fantasy Baseball Today. Go to YouTube, just throw Fantasy Baseball Today in the search, and you'll be able to find us. And reminder that you can listen to us on any podcasting platform, but specifically on Spotify. You can follow us there, and we have playlists set up for our position previews and for all of the mock drafts that we have spoke about on this podcast. All right, we come back. We will get into rounds 11 and on in ADP here, Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Round 11 in ADP looks like this. Madison Bumgarner, 121. Denelson Lamette, 122.8. Eduardo Rodriguez, 125.2. Carlos Carrasco, 125.8. Hyunjin Ryu, 127.8. Shohei Otani, 128.2. Max Fried, 132. A lot of pitchers going in this round, around this range uh, for starting pitchers. Scott, let's start off with this. I've got another meter for you. You ready? Mm-hmm. The breakout meter for Denelson Lamette. Where does he rank on that meter? I have him in my breakouts column, so it should be a pretty high number. I'll go with seven again. Uh, I, I do think some in the community, the fantasy baseball community, are maybe a little too confident in his breakout potential. Considering he's basically a two-pitch pitcher who I don't think we can be totally sure is going to deliver the kind of workload uh, that would make him a must-start player. But there's obviously tons of strikeout potential for Denelson Lamette. And uh, his first full year back from Tommy John surgery, um, you know, he could, uh, he could be a pretty big deal. Eduardo Rodriguez has tested positive for COVID, which means I would say his status for opening day is probably in doubt. At least it's in question. And I think that there were already reasons to be skeptical of him. Last year, he had that big second half. But if you look at the underlying numbers, he actually walked more batters during that time. His ex-fip was not great. So I think it's a little bit fluky what we saw from Eduardo Rodriguez in that second half. Um, Chris, Shohei Otani. Is he a roto and head-to-head categories only pitcher for you? Because in head-to-head points, I just don't know how much volume he's going to give you on a per-start basis. Shohei Otani, for me, is a daily league only guy. Okay. 
unless you play in a format that lets you that gives you both points for hitting and pitching at the same time uh, in a weekly league, which I not none really do that uh, unless you draft two different versions of him. Um, he made a sim league start or a sim game start yesterday, and it was really bad. And yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean uh, you know he will be bad, but. Uh, he threw 15 of 51 pitches for strikes. He had wow, that is that is really Scott, was it six eight or walks. eight walks, eight, eight walks, walks in three, three innings. innings. Yeah, wow. Um, look, the like the guys coming back from Tommy John surgery, and usually that goes well, but it doesn't always go well. He made it through 60 innings in the majors before needing Tommy John surgery. Uh, I think he's going to be very good eventually, but there's absolutely no guarantee he's going to be very good right now, and. I don't think there's any guarantee that you're going to get a lot of volume from him. You're certainly almost never going to get any two-star weeks out of him because, uh, you know, the the Angels are probably going to stick with him pitching every sixth day and every fifth rather than every fifth day. Yeah. And so it just – it doesn't seem like there's a, any room for profit in a weekly league in either Roto or head-to-head points. Like, in order for him to – especially in, in – even in Roto, in order for him to – really provide a ton of value as your 128th overall pick. Uh, you know, that's probably your starting pitcher four range. He's going to have to be one of the best pitchers in baseball on a per inning basis. And there's just not a lot of room margin for error at that cost. Scott, Carlos Carrasco last year, his first 12 starts, he had a 4.98 ERA. The underlying number is still pretty good, though. 3.48 XFIP, a 10.9 K per nine, 1.5 walks per nine. So the underlying numbers for Carrasco were good, and it comes out that later on we find out he was obviously uh, diagnosed with leukemia, and he returned to the bullpen later on in the season. We had some doubt, some question marks as to whether or not he was actually going to play this season because of everything that's going on regarding covid as of now, it seems like he's going to be good to go. He has SPARP uh-huh. eligibility as well. Where do you kind of fall with Carlos Carrasco here, Scott? I'm not eager to draft him myself, but I didn't I didn't see much skills decline last year either for as bad as the numbers are. It's The concern with Carlos Carrasco is entirely how he bounces back from his leukemia battle. Uh, and then, you know, there's, there's the added risk of him needing to drop out at some point since he is a higher risk individual. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I, I have no idea how it's going to play. I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to have the same stuff Is he, if he's going to be able to sustain it as deep into games. I, I just don't know. So it's a total wild card, but of course he's been a reliable fantasy pitcher in the past, a high end guy. So it's, it's appropriate value here. I think, uh, factoring in the risk. Chris, who do you find yourself drafting most from this group? Mad bum, Lamette. Eduardo Rodriguez, Carrasco, Hyunjin Ryu, Otani, Max Freed. It's probably Ryu. Um, I, I I get the, the most or the least. The most. Yeah, ha- I agree. Has I the agree. hate go- has the hate gone too far for Ryu? I th- yeah, I mean, it. Do people really question that he's like he's very good? Last forty four starts, he has a two twenty one ERA. But even before that, like injuries <laughs> yeah. have been a real concern, although it rarely was arm issues. I believe it was more like groin and lower leg issues. Yeah. Um, even before that, though, he had a 377 ERA in 2017 and 126 innings, and he was dealing with injuries, obviously. And then before in 2013 and 2014, before he missed 2015 and most of 2016, 
He has 317 ERA in 344 innings. He's not a high strikeout guy, but he's not a nothing there either. Uh, and he does a great job keeping runs and, and base runners off the board. I, I have very little doubt Hyunjin Ryu is going to be very good, uh, even away from the Dodgers. And, you know, I guess there are some workload concerns that they might not let him pitch all that deep into games. Yeah, I think those are out the window now. Yeah, with a sh- game season. With a shortened season, and especially if they get off to a hot start and they're competitive, like why would right. they? Yeah, this right. season is built. I, what for you're hoping like to get Ryu. from Mike Soroka, I think you're probably going to get from Hyunjin Ryu. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and you're getting uh, quite a few spots of value there. You're getting a Ryu at nearly 40 spots later. 127.8. Soroka is going at 88. So yeah, that's that's 40 spots of value there. Uh, good point there. Rounds 12 through 14 in ADP. Kyle Hendricks, Julio Arias, Robbie Ray. Mike Miner, Matthew Boyd, Sean Manaya, Kenta Maeda, and I'm going to throw Rich Hill in this mix, Scott, because okay. we've done three mocks in the past couple of weeks, and his ADP, his where he was selected in those three drafts, 133, 134, and 152. We were mm. all on board as Rich Hill a month ago as a sleeper because he was someone you could get with your last round pick. At this point, if he's going 130 to 150... That's basically where he's been drafted the past couple of seasons. Is it worth it? Yeah, I think it is worth it because I think he's even more valuable in a 60-game season coming off this uh, kind of questionable procedure on his elbow than he would be in a 162-game season because 162-game seasons, you know he's not going to be around for all of it. 60-game season, very good chance he is. And ratio-wise, you look at his numbers just the last three years with the Dodgers, uh, you go back further, they're probably even better, frankly. But the last three years, I mean, that's a top 10 pitcher, what he's doing in terms of ERA, whip, and strikeouts. And uh, he threw four innings, I think, in his first sim start. And the Twins talked about him being, you know, fully extended for the start of the season. So that's not going to be an issue. I think he's, uh, I like, think he's a real gem here for, for this season specifically. If Rich Hill makes 12 starts, which would be pretty much every start, Top 15 starting pitchers? Top top 20? He, With the, look, the Twins have maybe the best offensive baseball. They have one of the best bullpens in baseball. He's got the supporting cast. Obviously, he has the stuff himself. I think it's it's completely possible. Like, I don't think it's... I don't think it's... In a 60-game season, the, the inherent variability, like, Rich Hill could be top five, potentially. I don't think it's a crazy idea. And th- there's obviously... Coming back from a, a, a surgery or a procedure that, you know, is pretty much untested. You know, he yep. did tear his UCL. It is possible that he stays healthy and just isn't good. Right. And uh, he's but 40. We, <laughs> but we haven't seen that from him yet. Sure. Yeah, Rich Hill. I was going to say top 10 is probably where he can settle in if everything works out. Uh, this stat, since 2016, among starting pitchers with at least 400 innings pitched, he has a 3.00 ERA, that is 6th best, a 10.6K per 9, that is ninth best, and a 1.08 whip, which is 8th best. All three of those marks are inside the top 10, so I don't think that that would surprise anybody. Scott, among this group, Hendricks, Arias, Robbie Ray, Miner, Boyd, Manaya, Maeda, Hill. Who do you draft most? I'd like to say Hill, but Phil Panebshek keeps hopping in those mock drafts and taking them instead. I think I think he's done it every time, so he's contributing to that ADP going up. 
It's probably Matthew Boyd because he's such an outlier for strikeouts. And, you know, if, if he makes some of the improvements Chris talked about earlier, then he's potentially an ace. I, I wish he pitched for any other team than the Tigers because yeah. he's not going to win many games, prob- probably not going to win many games no matter how well he pitches there. But he's, uh, in terms of upside, it's, boy, I'm just seeing Maeda's in this group too. I draft Maeda a lot. Th- those three... Boyd, Maeda, and Hill. Upside-wise, they really stand out. I could put Julio Arias in there for the upside, too, but they're going to be... like I'm not sure how deep he's going to pitch into games. I think the Dodgers could piggyback with him. So I'm a little more cautious with him. Uh, but this is these are, kind of, these are kind of the ultimate fallback options for me if I'm looking for a high-ceiling guy who also has a, a reasonably good floor, too. Um, Boyd, Maeda, and Hill... I like for that. This is also getting to the range of starting pitchers where I, I start to not like the pitchers. Like I, I genuinely don't want them. And that I like, would include guys like Robbie Ray. I like every guy in this group yeah. and I draft them all frequently. Robbie Ray is probably the one I draft the least, but Kyle Hendricks, I think is a great value here. Uh, Kyle Hendricks is a, a an awesome stabilizing force. You have to have good team. strikeouts already. Sure. Sure. Yes. But you know, you should. Yeah, he's just—he's so boring, but he's so good. Like, he like just, it's just—he doesn't every excel. Year, but... It's just like, oh, Kyle Hendricks isn't that good. Oh, Kyle Hendricks is gonna fall off. He's not gonna keep pitching like this. And it's just like, just keep, just keep printing money by drafting Kyle Hendricks until it stops working. Four straight seasons, a three point four six ERA or less. During that time, he has a one point one one WHIP, which is twelfth best among starting pitchers. So he's not going to give you many strikeouts, but I think specifically for ERA and whip, uh, he could be quite helpful. All right, guys, let's do a little bit of rapid fire. Like we did for the outfield preview 2.0 part two. I'm going to give you guys 30 seconds for each of these players. And you just tell me, do you target this pitcher? Is he an active target of yours? Yes. No, meh. Scott, get us started with Carlos Martinez. He has been an active uh, one for me, I, I think he's similar to Hendricks, uh, but with more strikeout potential. Not a huge strikeout guy, but more than Hendricks. Now there's a question about his role, though, so I might yeah. back off him a little. I still think he has the leg up in that fifth starter competition, but they're keeping their options open since he was delayed arrival for camp. They want to see how uh, how he looks and how built up he already is. Chris, Jake Odorizzi, another one of those Twins pitchers could get a lot of run support, some solid matchups in matchups in this shortened season. What do you think about Odorizzi? Uh, I'm pretty mad on him. I wouldn't say I'm not targeting him, but he's not someone I, I typically draft. I just – it was such an outlier for strikeout rate for him. I mean, 27.1% rate. His previous high in the last five seasons was 228 Uh That it's just – I just don't quite buy it. Scott, Lance McCullers, we haven't seen him since 2018. Is he someone you actively target? Uh, I'm fine with him. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say I actively target him, but he has big strikeout upside. He's a great ground ball pitcher, obviously a good supporting cast. And I think now that he's further removed from Tommy John's surgery, the workload should be pretty good at the start of the year. Um, I... I I don't know why I don't end up with more of him. I think my pitching's just full by the time he goes off the board usually. But I, I like McCullers fine. Chris, Masahiro Tanaka, we talked about your boy, Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, hit him in the head with a line drive. We don't really know what his status is going to be. Mild concussion. Uh, but what do you think about Tanaka? Hmm. 
Uh, he did. So he was another guy like Edwin Diaz who struggled with his grip on the ball on his signature pitch. In his case, it was the splitter. He experimented with different grips as the season went on and found a little bit of success late in the year. Uh, he is not someone I, I typically draft. No, I, it's not, again, it's more of a meth thing, but yeah, he just, he doesn't have the upside I'm looking for when I'm usually filling out that spot in my lineup. Scott, it was either last year or two years ago. I remember you were very much so in on Herman Marquez last year. What do you think? Yes, no, meh. He's going pretty late nowadays. Well, I mean, this in the middle rounds, he's going. I'm I'm pretty meh on Marquez. He kind of showed the extent of his downside last year, and it's more of a Masahiro Tanaka situation for me, where I think like whoever rosters him in fantasies going to need to start him but um he may end up doing just as much harm as good uh you know i was i was a little more confident last year that he would he really turned things around at home after a poor start there in 2018 uh and he just didn't sustain that in 2019 it's just it's just so hard to be a successful pitcher at Coors field and he he showed that again with his home away splits while also losing some of his strikeout potential seems like so yeah i'm not as high on marquez this time around chris mike fulton finished the season very strong target him yes no meh uh no i did not believe in mike fulton last season i do not believe in mike fulton now i think he is pretty much the definition of just a guy he's a slightly better version of andrew cashner i do want to point out if Armand marquez is the number one pitcher cashner in that he throws really hard and you think, wow, he's going to get a lot of strikeouts. And then it's like, oh, no, he doesn't really. Uh, I want to point out with Armand Marquez, if he is the opening day starter for the Rockies, and I believe he will be, and he pitches every fifth day, not every fifth game, but every fifth day, four of his first six starts would be on the road. Mm, you want to cool. point that out. Uh, <laughs> So, I mean, that, that's a big if, but it's interesting. It, yeah, I guess. It's, it's a big <laughs> if, but if that is the case, that's the way it lines up. Okay. You know, I've got to get a sound drop of Adam just singing the Luke Weaver song, but Luke Weaver. Who, who needs Adam when we have Chris who exactly can sing that. it for us? Scott, what do you think? Luke Weaver. I just, I don't feel good about his health uh, with the elbow. It was kind of an iffy situation that shut him down last year. One of those scenarios where you're not completely sure whether they should have just gone ahead with Tommy John for him. I was liking what he was doing before he got hurt. But uh, I just don't think you can count on him to really be anything for you this year. So if if you're looking if you're looking for a lottery ticket, you can get them for cheaper than than Weaver. Chris Marcus Stroman. Hey, why would you draft Mike Mark Mike Soroka? Excuse me, when Marcus Stroman's there, like what eighty picks after? Uh, I think the the case would be that we haven't seen the bad side of Mike Soroka in the way we have seen from Marcus Stroman, but that's not really uh, an argument. I think I like that's just like they're very similar types of pitchers, and uh, you're going you're going overboard with the Soroka shade here now. I'm starting well, I'm going to start to get offended on his behalf. Well, we but, know we know Stroman is a bad source of whip. Like even at his best, he's bad for whip. Okay, he's bad. Um, I guess that'd like, be the main thing. <laughs> very, I, I guess I just look at them. They're very similar types of starting pitcher. And yeah. Like, yeah. A lot like, of, uh, 
why would balls. we necessarily think Mike Soroka will be a drastically better version? It's because he was better last year. But I don't think it's just that. He's was 21 years old last year. Right. So I don't know that we really know who Mike Soroka is going to be fully yet. Uh, but right now he looks like a better version of Marcus Stroman, a more, uh, how's Marcus Stroman in terms of throwing strikes? Cause Soroka is one of the best, at least as far as we can tell at, uh, limiting walks. Marcus Stroman's yeah, first Marcus pitch Stroman's not a good control. Slight, yeah, he's no, he's slightly better bad. than average in, in terms of walk, uh, walk percentage. Yeah. So that contributes to the whip there. Yeah. Ground ball pitchers tend to give up more hits and maybe Soroka will this year, but like Stroman, if you get a one, two, five whip from him, it's like, it would be the best he's ever done since his rookie season. Huh? Yeah. I, I guess my point is just that I don't see much upside with Mike Soroka. And if you're just like, if you're looking for that profile, I, I don't think that's a profile worth paying up for. Mercy. All right, guys, we're going to wrap there, but on tomorrow's show, we will get into some of these late round names. There's like 10 more names I wanted to do with the rapid fire. And there's just a lot of upside starting pitchers late that we need to get into. So we will talk about that yeah. on tomorrow's episode with our mailbag as well for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the fantasy baseball today, YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thank you.